Well, this is going to be a special one. Um, today I have in the podcast, Jose Fleming, who full disclosure is my broker. And the cool part is I get to beat you up and you're still going to be I'm, my broker. I'm ready for it. Yeah. You're ready for it. That's good. Um, you know, I've always admired you um, from the moment that I met you. Um, I thought you were an incredibly sharp guy um, and you are very young. You're younger than me, which at the time I was very young in the industry. We're talking yeah. almost 10 years ago. And um, your story is one of the most compelling stories of success in the real estate industry that I've that I've come across. Um, the reason being you became a broker at a very young age. Mm-hmm. You started a very successful company. Um, it grew kind of beyond um, sort of the what you were able to handle. It morphed into um, one of the national brokerages. And now you are in sort of, you're 34? 34, yeah. You're 34 and you're in your third brokerage, third successful brokerage, which is incredible. Um, tell me a little bit about your story. When did you initially become a broker, that first company, and sort of how did we get to where we're at now? Ooh. Okay, well, um, 2008, or actually 2003 is when I initially got licensed mm-hmm. and at the age of 18. Mm-hmm. And my father was in real estate before, you know, of course, before I was. Um, so I was going to school at the time and he was kind of like, hey, listen, just because you're going to school doesn't necessarily mean you don't have to have a job. So I figured I'm like, well, I like his schedule and mm-hmm. it seems pretty convenient being an agent. So I decided to get my license. Mm-hmm. And then in 2003 is where, or 2003, 2007 is when I actually got my broker's license. So relatively uh, quick, per se, in the business. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, you know that it's like you have to be licensed for two years before you can get your broker's license. But at the time when I got my broker's license, there was more of a need to get it just because of the position that I was in. Um, as far as wanting to get a brokerage started and forming one, I needed to get licensed as a broker. So that's kind of the path I took. And uh, that first company, what was the name of that company? That was Five Star Realty. Five Star Realty, and you had one office? Yes. Initially, I had one office, but by the time I was all said and done, I had three different office locations. And how many agents? About 175. Oh, wow. Yeah. And what happened with Five Star? Um, okay, so as a broker, it's funny because... When you start a business, it becomes your project mm-hmm. and you feel like, you know, you kind of have uh, control of the situation. Mm-hmm. So I had the brokerage. I was hiring agents. I had a unique uh, value proposition that I would offer them and they would come work for me. Or we'd work together. And what happened was it got to a point where I kind of grew to a certain point and I felt like either one of two things had to happen. I either had to get more support staff and relinquish more of my uh, my duties and delegate, which is very hard because when you're starting a business, you feel like, okay, well, this is the way I specifically want it. I've got mm-hmm. a bit of a OCD. So this is exactly the way I want it. And I don't know if anyone that I pass it along to is going to do it exactly the way I want it done. Mm-hmm. So it kind of I, I was at the breaking point. So I said, I either need systems, structure, or uh, I need to hire at least four additional people to be on staff. Mm-hmm. So I just kind of thought at that point, let me look into franchises and let me see if maybe the solution is there. Kind of like a broker in a box situation mm-hmm. where they could tell me how to structure my business and make it easier. For you were me. looking for a template. There you go. Exactly. I would say perfect mm-hmm. template. And so... Then that evolved. You got bought out. 
your offices were bought out? Yes. So um, what, when I was looking through the franchise process, I found a franchise that seemed pretty large and it seemed it was growing at a rapid rate. Mm-hmm. Um, but its territories were already owned by another broker and they couldn't really cannibalize the territory with another brokerage under the same brand. So um, I was kind of, um, all right, well, I'm back to the drawing board. Let me figure it out. Um, and at that point, I was approached by the same person I spoke to that was in charge of uh, incorporating new brokerages. And I said, well, let me have you talk to that broker and see if we could work something out. Mm-hmm. And um, I didn't know enough about the company to make a decision because it wasn't just my decision to make. I had to make a decision that would affect me and about 175 other people. So it was kind of a weighted decision mm-hmm. that I had to make. So at that point, um, they sent me away to you know, their corporate offices to kind of see how their business was run from a corporate, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, at the, at the top of the game, like this is how it should be handled day to day operations. So I kind of got a really good view as far as how the model should be run. And I kind of, um, it made sense. Mm-hmm. So when I came back, I made a deal with the broker and we kind of folded in my offices and the agents and all of our inventory with this national franchise. Very cool. And so, um, you were with that company for a number of years and then something made this made you decide to open prefer real Correct. estate brokers, yeah. which is your current brokerage. Um, three offices right now and prefer real estate brokers. Yes. What made you open your brokerage again? Okay, so being with a big national franchise, um, you get to a point where you realize kind of once you're in it. And you kind of see it every day. And I was kind of at a broker management role because they didn't want me to go away when I when I did the uh, transfer of, of the business. If I went away, then the agents would be like, well, where's the broker? And why did we get dropped off? And mm-hmm. where is he at? So, you know, I was under a contract to stay on as a role where I was doing some broker management. And I was dealing with the agents on a daily basis, kind of helping them with any issues that would come up, contract issues or disputes. Um, I was kind of handling that for all the offices. And during the process, I kind of saw what was happening when new agents would come in, bright-eyed and excited, ready to get into the business of real estate. And just because the model isn't really ran as tightly as you know it is from a corporate standpoint, because each office is independently owned and operated. So I just kind of saw people coming in. And then a few months later, I'm like, hey, where did so-and-so go? And they're like, well, they're not here anymore. So it's kind of uh, disheartening to see so many people come into the business and not be able to stay around or stick around or kind of get that individual handholding that I feel like a lot of people need when they get in the business rather than just dumping information on their lap and then telling them to make the most of it. I kind of felt like they, they needed to give them information and say, great, now how does this apply to you specifically? Mm-hmm. And how does your past or your past work experience come into your new work experience as an agent and how can you take this information and make a business out of it? So that was kind of the need to kind of go off and say, well, if I'm going to start a different real estate company, what's it going to look and like? I, and I think that's something that goes sometimes very understated on the franchise models. And is that if you have a franchise system where there's independent owner operators that own these businesses, even though they all sort of have the same flag, it doesn't mean that they're all run exactly the same. And I see this a lot with sort of the Facebook groups 
you know, where you have people that are, you know, in one company and then the same company operates a franchise, you know, five states away and their experience is completely different. And yeah. so I, I've sort of always tried to lead with a caveat of, you know, understand there's different ownership groups and there's some that are um, that are able to run the, the system tighter to what that ideal model from um, the corporate um the sort of the corporate head um, um, sort of wants that to look like. And then there is franchises that sort of become strays and they sort of do their own thing a little bit more, maybe because of the market, maybe because of their growth trajectory. It's hard to keep up with. Um, but yeah, it's a very different experience, even within the same flag or the same sort of um, operational model. Um, when you open prefer real estate brokers, the first thing that really struck me odd, and I was like, this is going to go somewhere, was your uh, decision to offer different split levels to oh, agents. Yeah. And um, agents are evidently, you have all sorts of agents. Yeah. You have the guys that just got licensed yesterday uh -huh. um, and uh, don't have a marketing plan or don't, don't know where to even start. And then you have the agents that are doing a hundred million dollars worth of business. Yeah. And so your approach was, it's a very uh, naive um, approach. It's a very naive thought to think that those two people are going to fit into the same box or structure. And you came up with different structures depending on where sort of people thought they fit in. Can you tell Correct. me a little bit about yeah. that thought? Well, not agents are all created equal. Right. right. So everyone's different. There's a different point in their life. They're a different age. They're a different mindset. They come from different backgrounds. Some may have previous work experience in sales. Some have no experience in sales. Some may come from a corporate background. There's so many different people that get in the business. So we have to figure out if we're going to provide them a full service. Um, can we accommodate all types of individuals? Now, a lot of other brokerages, they say, well, this is our model. This is our commission split, and these are our fees. Either you like it or you don't. And later on down the road, if you're successful and you're earning, a, um, you're earning the real estate company a lot of business and a lot of income, we're not willing to adjust your pay rate or your scale because this is all that we have to offer. Mm -hmm. And then that agent feels like, well, you know what? I'm bringing in a lion's share of the business, but my broker's not willing to increase my split. Now I'm kind of forced to go to another company that's willing to offer me more compensation for the work that I do which is perfectly normal and that's how it works. But when I opened a full service brokerage, I said, how can I offer a service to all types of agents, but keep them in their own categories that they feel comfortable in? So we have a beginning program for beginner agents or agents that are trying to really ramp up their business again. Mm -hmm. Maybe they did well in sales a few years ago and mm -hmm. then life happened. Now they're back into it. So that's like an 80-20 program where they keep 80% of their commission, but we give them the red carpet treatment. So we provide them all the resources they could possibly want. Or what I did is I call them an excuse eliminator. Mm -hmm. So I'm just like, okay, all the reasons that you're telling me that you can't make it in the business, I'm going to provide you with all those resources. We provide you open houses, open house signs, you know, sign removal and sign installation for your listings. We provide you coaching, uh, provide you your, your, your website, your CRM, pretty much, and a, and a transaction coordinator. So we give them everything that they need in order to be successful. So if they can't make it out of this first block, then it's not anything that I'm not doing or not giving them a chance to survive in the market. It's just their inability to commit. And to a huge investment. important thing you didn't mention was uh -huh. the monthly fee. Yes. So there's no monthly fee starting out as an agent. I just don't believe that I should start earning income off of that agent. 
until they actually start producing. Because a lot of agents, they, they'll go broke before they make their first sale. So imagine if I signed them on, I said, well, there is a sign-on fee. There is a monthly fee of $60 a month. And I charge you for training and classes. And oh, and you have to pay $1,000 to join the board of realtors, but you haven't even made your first sale yet. Yeah, I've always been of the um, thought that the best way to to help a new agent is by allowing them to keep as much of their money in their pocket as possible. Because we know at the beginning, those commission checks are sort of far and few in between. Mm-hmm. And when you are in a company that's taking, you know, 50, 40, 30, you know, percent of the entire paycheck, it's just really hard. You have to sell a lot of houses to develop that reserve. Um, so when, whenever you came up with a program, I'm like, oh my God, what a noble idea. We're actually going to give people the tools to be productive and we're not going to take away the thing that will help them stay in the business a little bit longer and try it out a little bit longer. Um, and you've seen good success with having this structure. Correct. Because what I do is after the agents on that initial program for a certain amount of time or based on their production or their improvement, they can graduate into one of the other programs that allow them a higher commission split where there are fees that they pay, but now they can afford it mm-hmm. and they don't need as much support and handholding from me. And then they can now flourish as an agent and all that money that they're saving, they can put right back into their business and then you know, increase it by 30, 40, 50% the years to come. So it's just kind of like a gradual program to kind of get them to a position where they're self-sufficient and they have the tools that they need in order to be successful agents in this market. Yeah, and the numbers work. I mean, because there's the 80-20 program, then you have a 90-10, and then the 100% program, which would be um, sort of the, the, the top-tier program. The 100% program, which is um, sort of the box that I fit in, yes. is we have a $99 monthly fee, um, and then we pay $250 per transaction, um, and, a $30 and a $30 ENO per transaction. And so what I found, for example, last year, $10 million in sale, 40-something transactions with me and my buyer's agent. So paying her fees and paying my fees overall, my um, out-of-pocket was under 15000 So it was like 14000 something dollars. Whereas if I had two agents at any other company that I'm familiar with, that outlay would have been at least twice as much. It would have been, you know, $30,000 because you're paying a 21000 or 22000 and then you're paying like a $10,000 for your buyer's agent. Um, and in that, um, in, in, in that amount of money that I mentioned, um, I, I also included my office space, which I have because you have three offices with available office space, yes. with conference rooms, with, um, you know, screens for presentations and so forth. Um, a heck of a lot of training. So, you know, sort of the same, I call it sort of, I'm going to start calling it the training circuit. So the same people that do training in other offices, they just kind of follow the circuit and, um, and, and we have training from title companies, mortgage companies, yeah. inspection companies, as well as your hands on training, um, with, you know, that it's available to the agents in the company. So in, in, in my experience, it's been a win win because, I feel like I'm in a company where people are in a trajectory of growth and a company where I can um, tell all agents of all spectrums, come join Preferred or come talk to Jose about possibly joining Preferred. And they're not going to be put on this one box that may not fit where they're at in their business. Exactly. And then that's the difficult part, too, because, you know, I encourage agents to create 
a business and treat this like a business. Only problem is there's so many people out there that get into real estate that don't have a business background or business acumen. And then they come in and they do it all wrong. And they don't know that it costs money to run a business. But if the brokerage is taking all your extra income, whether it's a split or a franchise fee and a monthly fee, what it does is that money that you would typically take to put into your business, which is, should be typically 30% of your total mm-hmm. take, should go back into your business. Mm-hmm. But if you're paying it off to the brokerage and you have fees and franchises and all that stuff like that, you can't afford to grow your business at the rate that you would like. And even if you wanted to bring on a buyer's agent or an admin, think about it. Um, if I'm on a 50-50 split with my my buyer's agent and I get a $8,000 commission, I get 4000 of that to my my, my buyer's agent. Now that buyer's agent has to pay the split and the franchise fees and their monthly fees with the brokerage as well. So by the time they get that 50%, it really comes out to like, they're really making 30% yeah. of the full take. And it's not really lucrative and you really can't grow your business like you'd want. Not only is it not lucrative, but there's another aspect of that, that the people also sort of want to shy away from talking about. And it's Commissions have trended downward over the last few years. And one thing that that drives me crazy is how commissions can trend downward, yet brokerages are so rigid on their ideology and their splits and the way they run their business that they're not willing to change that at all. I mean, it's a a quantifiable, obvious um, piece of fact and data that commissions have trended downward. So why are brokers not modifying the way that they treat the agents when they know the agents are taking less money per transaction than they used to. Yeah. Um, why did you think there is that rigid mentality a lot of times? Um, okay. Obviously, you don't fit in that box, yeah. but it seems to be the industry standard. What you're doing is the anomaly. So it's true. So what happens is a, so a brokerage will get so big and they'll have create a certain standard for themselves that they can't afford to cut corners when it comes to the income that they're producing. So what they try to do is provide so many smoke and mirrors to the agent that coming in, they say, oh, wow, look at all this technology. Look at all this stuff. I can't believe it's amazing. But half of it's fluff and half of it's garbage that they never take advantage of or apply to their business. And like, for instance, the 100% program we have, not every agent on there. It's only for experienced and skilled agents that deserve a long leash mm-hmm. and they can run their business and do with it what they plan to do with it. But other companies that say, hey, we have to adhere to our commission split and we don't modify it. We don't change it. And every agent here is worth a certain dollar amount. Well, that goes to prove that even if I'm a top producing agent, I'm really treated no differently than the other agent who's also worth $21,000, but they're brand new. Everyone has a certain price tag on their head and they say, in order for us to keep our doors open and keep maintaining the different the type of business that we have, we need to have X amount of agents closing X amount of deals. And this is how much we know for a fact that we're going to be bringing in quarterly. Yeah. And what a novel idea to think. You would think this stuff is common sense, but it's really not. You are creating a program in the 80%. So for your newer agents or the people that are not trying to do this full-time, I shouldn't say full-time, but the people that are not doing this at a super high level yet that are in the 80% program, what a novel idea to say, I'm taking ownership on your success because if you don't get to sell a house, I will never make a dollar from you. So you can come to my classes. You can take advantage of our training programs. You can use my resources and my staff and my time, and I don't get to make a dollar until you sell a house. That personally invests you in the success of that agent, as opposed to having 50 agents 
that are paying 60, 70 bucks a month that it's kind of like out of sight, out of yeah, mind because that's, that's three, $4,000 worth of revenue. Yeah, I mean, that's like me. If I wanted to open a gym and collect a $50 a month membership fee, yeah. even if they don't show up, yeah. I still get paid that monthly it membership. Is, that's exactly so what it is. It's more of a cash business. If I just hire as many warm bodies to pay the monthly fee, I don't care if you sell real estate or not, because you know what? These monthly fees alone are bringing in $5,000 a month. And what happens is you literally as an agent become a number. So the way that I look at it is I'm literally, so my cost is $34 a head. So every agent that's in my 80% program, I'm paying $34 a month as an investment into them, their technology and, and carrying mm-hmm. them every single month as an agent um, in order to get them into production. So mm-hmm. I, I as, a, as a broker, I'm highly motivated to get them into production so I can get a return on my investment. Of course. And, you know, if they're not showing up, they're not participating, and they're not taking this as a serious business, then I'm quick to remove them from the system because what happens is it's agents like that that are not treating this as a business that start to jeopardize our profession as a whole. So I want to make sure that if you're here to sell real estate and you're serious about selling real estate, that you show up, you partake in the training and the coaching, and you're willing to give the effort to make this a career. But if you're just a dabbler, you know, um, I usually spend the most time and effort and um, on those individuals because those are the people calling me on Saturday asking me how to fill out a purchase mm-hmm. contract and I hadn't seen them in one training class. Mm-hmm. I can't afford to run my business that way. So I run it very clean and I want to make sure that most of the agents that are here are producing agents and then they're going to put in their, their end of their time commitment into the business and then I'll, I'll meet them halfway. Another thing that you do that I really like is you... You're cheap to a fault, and I don't mean that in a bad way. You just run your business very frugal. Um, You don't spend money where it doesn't need to be spent, and so your staff is sort of minimal to what's required for the amount of agents and transactions that you have. And so you will hire as you need, but your staff stays sort of like on a need-to basis. Um, And one thing that I don't like is when companies start hiring all this other staff that's obviously getting paid from those agent splits, but the purpose of the staff mm-hmm. is not to help the agents that are there producing paying for those salaries. Right. The purpose of the staff is to go out and recruit more warm bodies so that they get more of that monthly fee so that they hopefully can get a new, a bunch of new agents. And so they'll fly them, wind them, dine them um, from the money paid by these agents that yes. are not getting flown anywhere, wine and dine yeah. in order to recruit more people. It's such a kind of like a backwards thing. Yeah, it is. It's kind of like the way that a virus multiplies, you right. know, out in nature. It's just like it it's it grows and grows and grows. And what you want is you want to have a symbiotic relationship that where one part feeds the other or they grow together. And it's, it's it is frustrating because what happens is imagine this. I'm a broker, but technically what I am is I'm a real estate agent running a very, very large team. Mm-hmm. And I find when I go to conferences all around North America and I see the top agents that are on panels, I find that most of them are huge top producers and their team only consists of about three or four individuals where you have another team of 25 people that are making the same amount of money as this team with three or four individuals. But we have 25 individuals that are have, they're, they're in a huge team. And what happens is all the revenue that they're making goes back out to pay for salaries and pay for all this other stuff where they could technically be selling just as much property and making much just as much um, income if they just run a smooth, clean, tight team. Yeah, with a fraction of that staff. A fraction of it. They don't need it. They think they need it. 
So they go and hire these people, but a lot of times... Well, but it creates a dependency. And so that's part of the problem that when you start growing a business and you focus on hiring, and I've seen this, I've seen companies literally tell agents, go ahead and hire yourself two new buyers agents so you can double your business. What? Like It doesn't work that way. That's not the way any of this works. And so th- that forced growth mentality that you hire first and then um, and then the business comes, it seems to be sort of like what you talked about. It's like this vicious cycle that never ends. You get used to ha- housing this um, this very large staff that it's not producing per capita what what you could produce when you look at some of the more efficient operations. Yeah, put it this way. So I'll, I'll have my um, operations uh, manager. This is my right hand, my assistant. Um, you know, Jennifer, she does a great job for me. But the thing is, I know that her plate is full mm-hmm. and that from the second she comes in to the second she leaves, her day is already, she already knows that every second mm-hmm. of her day is going to be used up. Now, if I just decide to hire additional staff just because I think I need it or whatever, then what happens is, yes, it'll take away maybe a, a quarter of her workload onto someone else. But then if I'm not replacing a quarter of that workload with something else, then what happens is that'll just allow more time for other staff to start doing other things independently rather than focusing 100% of their time on the business. And now they have a little bit more free time for this and that. And then as I hire more individuals, then it becomes a very lax environment because now there's more leverage on each individual. So what you have to do is you have to give somebody as much business as they could possibly handle until it starts to overflow. And then once it overflows, then you hire another bucket to catch the overflow. And I strongly believe that's how anybody should hire versus like, you can't handle anymore. You sure? Okay. Let me get somebody else to support you. Very good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, I think that's what makes you so successful. You have changed your approach on this time after time. You're always willing to listen to input um, from people and you are very open-minded about this stuff. Um this will definitely not be the last time that we do um, a podcast together. I think a lot of people will get a lot of good information a- out of it. Um, but um, one thing that I do want to say is if you have any questions about the way you operate, the way that you run your business, you're also a very reachable person. So if you look up Jose Fleming in social media, um, just Google the guy. His cell phone is pretty much everywhere. You can talk to him about this stuff. Yeah, I'm online. Anybody can find me. Uh, Facebook, you know, preferred real estate brokers, but I'm always available. I'm usually in one of the offices. So, um, but you know, you make my job a lot easier having agents like yourself. Yep. You know, if I could clone you and make 10 more of you, ah. that'd be an ideal situation. Um, just because here's the most important thing. You make it a point to learn the business, know the business, know what's happening, what's changing, and what's going to affect your bottom line. And by you always learning, then you're always ahead of the curve and you know what to look for and how to adjust your business to it versus all a majority of the other agents that just kind of let things happen. Yeah. So as long as you're ahead of the curve, you're always going to be okay in our market, regardless of what happens. Yep. So thanks for having me. Thank you so much. Amen. Thank you.